0: Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay. So, uh... Just, I'm not going to take a lot of time introducing myself. Um, but my name is Andrew. My lovely, beautiful bride, Lauren, just plugged my computer in. The battery's pretty weak. This is very precarious. I'm a little nervous about knocking that over. Um, so, I am a teacher. Uh, w- my wife and I are intercessory missionaries. We're uh, support raised missionaries here in Dayton. Um, and one of, if you were to categorize me, please don't. Um, and label me, please don't, in the five-fold ministry of Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher. Um, my primary gift mix is Apostolic, Teacher, Prophetic, and then somewhere way down the line is Evangelist and Shepherd, though I'm growing in those, as we all should be. Uh, Jesus was all five fully all the time, and we're called to look like him, so we are growing in that. Um, but as a teacher, uh, I believe in, uh, or I, I, when I speak, I teach, I equip, right? I work through the word and I lay things out um, and I spend a lot of time in preparation, sitting before the Lord, asking him what he wants to do. Um, so I have notes. If you want them, go ahead and put it up on our website. Um, you can download them if you want. There's a PDF. should be theharmonfam.com. Maybe. Maybe. You can have them if you want. My, my goal with that is I, I, don't, I don't just go line by line, word by word. It's to give you something to take home and spend time in the word and with the Lord studying through. So that when you leave here, you're not like, oh, what did he say? And did he really mean that? And where does that come from in the Bible? So it's just to give you that. You can, work, you can follow along a little bit as I speak today. Um, but I just wanted to give you something to take home. Please ignore the entire rest of our website. It is four years old. It has not been updated in a long time, um, but I just wanted to give you guys that so you can so you can uh, go where the Lord's leading. I the the missions or the worship teams have probably heard me say this a lot over the last 18 months or year that I've been here. 18 months. 18 months. Wow, that's crazy. Um, but I, my life motto is: hope for wind, bring a paddle. The notes are the paddle. But even when the wind comes, the Lord has given us a destination, and he gives us a rudder to sail with. So that's what this is about. Uh, that's what the notes are for. But uh, last week, Pastor, so just so you're aware, I also always speak. I speak every week on Thursday night. I teach usually for an hour to an hour and a half. Um, I'm, I'm going to try not to do that today. Um, as a teacher, I'm going to try really hard not to do that today. Um, Especially because Aaron gave me a time limit, but last week Aaron only preached for 20 minutes, so he gave me some of his time. Um, I figure I'll preach till the batteries on my mic run out, but I did bring extra. Um, but he he said last week Aaron said that that Pastor Greg, Pastor Dad, uh, spent a lot of time developing the theme uh, or the title of a message. I'm very similar in the way that I speak or lead or teach. Um, I ask the Lord for a destination, right? My my prayer every time I preach, man, my mouth is so dry, um, is, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to say to this community? What do you want to say to these people? This is going to be really hard. I'm going to try to do this. Ready? Okay. What do you want to say to these people? <laughs> Sorry, this is very awkward. I'll just leave it open from now on. What do you want to say to these people? What do you want to speak? and? This week, the Lord responded, or in the last couple weeks, the Lord responded, if you had one word, one message to give, what would it be? Just rest on that for a minute. Think about what that means. Usually, when the Lord says that in response to what do you want to say, it means you're never coming back to speak again. <laughs> so get ready. Um, so the the message on my heart, the primary calling of our hearts, Lauren and I's, is to equip the body of Christ. It's to prepare the bride to run the race with diligence. Paul said that, um, the, that, the, 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 that life is a race, right? Run in a manner worthy to obtain the prize, because only one wins it. Run in a manner worthy to obtain the crown of victory. What he's saying is run hard. He said to, he said to Timothy, he said, Contend, wage warfare for the prophecy spoken concerning your life. It was a call to run harder, do more, reach further. And in our ministry, in our life, that's what we are set to do. That's what the Lord has prepared us and equipped us to do. That's what we do, and we're unapologetic in it. I won't back down from asking the body of Christ to reach for more, to do more, to grow more, to run after, with diligence, the heart of the Lord. So today's message is Psalm 132. You can turn with me there. I have titled it, David's Vow of Spiritual Violence. So how many of you know David made a vow? Very few. David vowed something in his heart. He made a vow in his youth he, as a young man. David vowed to dedicate his life to finding a dwelling place or a resting place for God on the earth. That's in Psalm 132. I might have said this, but turn with me there. David's vow included building a, a building, creating a building for the resting place of the Ark of the Covenant to be placed in. As a place for God's power and presence to be manifested day and night, night and day. The ark, in in case we we, we forsake this or we don't understand this, the whole purpose of the ark and the temple was about the manifest presence of God the Father on the earth all the time. That's why they built it. It wasn't religiosity. It wasn't anything else. It was, we want the presence of God. And you know what? The presence of God, the glory of God not some separate glory, God's glory in heaven reached down and his feet rested on the ark, right? The ark is called his footstool. Reached down and rested in the Holy of Holies. And David's heart was to establish that resting place on the earth. He vowed in his youth to do this. So I'm just going to read the Psalm, the beginning of the Psalm, verses 1 to 8. Lord, this is a psalmist, another person writing of David. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, How he vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids until I find a resting place for the Lord. A dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. Okay. So just quickly I want to unpack what a resting place means. Okay, David's vow to find a resting place. A resting place or a dwelling place speak of the same reality, okay? Uh, In principle, it's where the fullness of God's glory and power and purposes are released for a specific time period. Okay, to say that differently, it's a place where man is in perpetual agreement with God. Does that make sense? I have this quote. It's a pretty long quote. I love this quote. It's from an, uh, a really long book by John Walton. It's called The World of Genesis, Ancient Cosmology and the Origins Debate. You don't have to read it. I love it. I love studying the origins of the earth. I love studying cosmology and the way that God designed the universe. But anyway, he says this. He says, what does divine rest entail? Most of us think of rest as disengagement from the cares or worries and tasks of life. What comes to mind is sleeping in, taking an afternoon nap, but in the ancient world, rest is what results when a crisis has been resolved or when stability has been achieved, when things have settled down. Consequently, normal routines can be established and enjoyed. For deity, for God, this means that normal operations of the cosmos can be undertaken. Rest, therefore, is more of a matter, this is the important part, catch this, of engagement without obstacles rather than disengagement without responsibilities. Rest is engagement without obstacle. It's not disengagement and no responsibilities. That's what we think of as rest. When you read the ancient texts, that's not what they read. Rest was a temple text. It means engaging and agreeing with God. Because then God does not have to strive with us. Right? Genesis 6 3 says that God will not always, God's Spirit will not always strive with mankind. Meaning the Spirit actually fights against us to get us to obey. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. You ever heard of conviction? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's getting you to obey. And when you're in total, perpetual, habitual agreement with God, that's faith, by the way. When you're in habitual agreement with God, he can find rest in that place. So David's heart was to establish a place where that was happening day and night and night and day. And he vowed in his heart to commit his life to do it, even from his youth. And so I just want to just to pe- pick a few pieces of that passage. I'm not going to go through it all. You can read it in the notes if you want to download them. But Jacob, he calls on the mighty one of Jacob in this vow. Why the mighty one of Jacob? Why not Jehovah Rapha? Why doesn't he call on Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi? Why doesn't he call any other name of God? But the, he calls him the God of Jacob. Why? Because the God of Jacob speaks to the God of of the open heaven you guys remember Jacob's encounter by the way Jacob's encounter took place where the tabernacle was built later okay Jacob saw an open heaven angels ascending and descending right access to God's throne so when David calls and he, he swears by the God of Jacob he's he's reaching and reminding God that he's the God of the open heaven the God of encounter moreover More important is that this, he's calling on the God who gives more when his people wrestle with him. Do you remember that story? Jacob wrestled with God until God gave him the blessing. So when David calls on the God of Jacob, he's calling on the God who gives, actually gives more. Okay, actually gives more to those who do more and who wrestle and contend with him. So that's the reminder. The ministry life and the vow of David serve as signposts to us, as what God desires from us in our hearts. How He wants us to respond to Him. David, David is David. Some, uh, what is it? Um can't remember. Whatever. David is considered, David is called what? David has one testimony, one testimony that no other man on the earth has. Who knows what it is? David was called the man after God's own heart. No one else in the word has that testimony but David. No one carries that testimony on their life and lifestyle. So we catch a glimpse of his heart in Psalm 132. He set his affection on building the house of God, and then with all of his might he went after it. Isaiah says in Isaiah fifty-five three and four. I'm going to skip part of it. The sure mercies of David. He says, "Indeed, I have given him David as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people." Do you understand what Isaiah is saying? He's saying, "Look at David and do what David did. He's a signpost and he's a witness for the way you ought to live your life in pursuing God." Give your life to do it. So let's look at when, the, when I think the vow came about. Okay, David, David lived in a radical way. We all know stories of the life of David and Goliath and, and the cave of Adullam and all of these things. But David becomes king. Okay? He subdues all of his enemies. Everyone's subdued. The wars have ceased. The economy's bustling. The city was at rest, right? There was no obstacles to the city of Jerusalem, the kingdom of David. The city's at rest. Yet, David is not satisfied. Now, now, again, I said he made this vow in his youth, but what I think happened is David comes to this place as king of the most wealthy, most powerful nation in history at that time, in that region, Suddenly, the nation comes to rest. He has no obstacles. No, no one is coming against him. And boom, a bomb goes off in his mind. Oh, yeah, the vow. Oh, yeah. He tastes what God desired. He tastes God's desire for rest, meaning agreement and no obstacle. And he says, I will not rest until God has this. He's reminded of the vow. He's reminded of the heart. He tasted a little bit of the glory and, and he realized what God wanted. And he commits his life in the vow to give it to him. From his heart springs the vow of his early days, and he gives himself to fulfilling, doing this, fulfilling the will of God in his generation. Not his own will, not his own purposes, fulfilling the will of God. And Acts 13, 36, uh, and you can read this in multiple versions, it's fantastic david fulfilled all the purposes of god in his generation <sighs> what all of god's will was fulfill all of god's will for an entire generation was fulfilled by one man and his vow one man fulfilled all of god's will for an entire generation how how lord let us be that oh amen let us be that He touched the very desire of God's heart, God's desire from the beginning, which was to have rest. Remember Genesis, when when God created all things, what did he say? It's good. Why was it good? Because it was in agreement with him. Then what did he do? He rested. He was at rest because there was no obstacle before him on the seventh day. Right? And David understood that heart. God never articulated it to him. David understood it because he searched the word and he found it. He saw it. You can see these things in, in just a few passages of the Old Testament. But when he saw this, when he understood this, God's desire for, for rest, he gave his life to pursuing it. And like John the Baptist, you guys know John, David embraced spiritual violence, Matthew eleven twelve, 12. Spiritual violence against the status quo. To fulfill God's desire. His lifestyle was different. His focus was different. The way he spent his money was different. This is a fun fact. 1 Chronicles 22 talks about how much David, how much finance David poured into building the house of the Lord. A perpetual place of rest. Over a hunt by today's standards of gold and silver. Over a hundred and eighty billion dollars. Just in gold and silver, 750 million pounds of silver. And then the next part of the verse says, and of bronze and silver, immeasurable amounts. So the, here, here's, you, they could measure 750 million pounds, but they couldn't measure how much the bronze and silver weighed. And at the end, and not only that, he, gave, he paid all the craftsmen, the master craftsmen. You know how much a master carpenter costs to hire to do your house? He paid all the master craftsmen. He paid all the priests. He paid all the singers and musicians full-time wages, okay, out of his own pocket, not the coffers of the kingdom, out of his own pocket, out of his own wealth. He gave his finances to build the kingdom of God. And the last verse of 1 Chronicles 22 says, but you know what, of gold and silver and iron and bronze— Take whatever you want. It's without limit. He's speaking to Solomon because Solomon would build the temple. He says, just take whatever you want. It's without limit. The psalmist of Psalm 132 knew that God was moved by what David committed to do. God's heart was moved. And God responded. His his response in 2 Samuel, God's like, wait, you would build me a house? I never told you that. I never spoke that to you. I've never said that to anyone. How many of you guys have a deep dream in your heart that nobody else knows but you? Now, what would happen if somebody would come along and say, to the letter, now, I used to use this example. I had a dream car. All right, this is what I want. It's got to have A, B, C, A, D. I want the sunroof. I want the, little, the two little buttons. Um, that that set the seat saver, right? So like when I get out, I push number one and it sets to my, like my leg length and then push number two and it sets to Lawrence because if you don't know, my wife is four foot 11, I am six foot two. I literally cannot get in the car after she's driven it. Like, all right, so anyway, imagine without ever articulating that to a single person on the earth, someone comes up to me and gives me everything down to the very letter. That's what David did. God didn't articulate it. David just understood it. And God's response was, David, go and do all that's in your heart to do, for I am pleased with it. And the psalmist knew that David's commitment and his zeal for God's house moved God's heart and that God would remember it. See, we're called to remember God's promises, right? Remember the promises, contend and wage warfare. Here, the psalmist remembers, calls God to remember a man's dedication Who was this man that just the very mention of his name moves God? Imagine, so you're in the worst day of your life. Things are going so badly because you love Jesus and you just go, David. And God just breaks in in power. It's basically what the psalmist is doing. That's how Jesus is, right? That's what we're doing with Jesus. Same thing. David is just a picture of Jesus. But he calls God to remember that vow and how he pressed into the Lord. He says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I just want to hit three points, what David warred against. David warred against his house, his bed, and sleep. Now, David's house spoke of his domestic life and his personal resources. Now, Before you hear me wrong, David loved his family. He took care of his house. He paid his bills. He spent time with them, right? He would do all of those things well, okay? But in warring against it, he would not let these things steal away the violent pursuit of his heart. Make sense? He would not lose zeal for the Lord's house for the sake of building his own house. Number two, he warred against his bed. His bed speaks of his personal comfort. David cast aside personal comfort to give himself to pursuing the Lord. He laid it off. He got rid of it. I won't be comfortable. I'm not gonna go to my bed. Oh, how we love our beds. Oh, I love my bed. Oh, I just want to go like, like nine o'clock. Even at nine o'clock at night. I'm getting old, man. Sorry. Sorry, those of you who are older than me. Nine o'clock rolls around. I'm just like, I'm done. Peace out. Right? David warred against it. Number number three was David warred against sleep. Now, sleep, now, he says, I won't give rest or sleep to my eyes, slumber to my eyelids. David slept. Okay? I'm sure he slept day by day. This is a poetic language. David is, all of this is poetic language, right? David, because it's a song. Psalm 132 is a song. David committed his life to give up some sleep. How many of you guys have kids? Okay, when your kids get sick at three in the morning, what do you do? You give up sleep for the sake of relationship and love. Right? How many of you guys, if you don't have kids, you're a little bit older, younger, whatever, and you go to a friend's house, and you end up staying way past your bedtime for the sake of? Relationship and love. Right? This is what David committed to do with God. He said, I'm going to sacrifice sleep. I'm going to be a little bit tired. I'm going to be a little bit hungry. I'm going to be a little bit exhausted all of my life for the sake of loving God well and pursuing Him with diligence. So the spirit of David's vow. Let me hang hand. David's vow, specifically, is not recorded in scripture but we catch glimpses of it all over the place of the heart of it the spirit of it. Uh, psalm 24 one thing have i desired to dwell in the house of the lord all my days to gaze on his beauty inquired of his te- in, uh, in his temple right david just wanted one thing nothing else mattered but nowhere do we see it more clearly than in psalm 69 and i just encourage you to turn to psalm 69 in your bibles It's not recorded anywhere, but the spirit of it was well known to his friends and those who knew him. In Psalm 69, 7 to 12, we gain insight into his vow. David described there three afflictions that he endured in his youth and all of his days related to his zeal for God's house and his lifestyle because of it. I'm just going to read through it and just unpack it as I go. He says, for your sake, God, for your sake, I have borne reproach, and shame has covered my face for the sake of the Lord. For your sake, I've borne reproach, and shame has covered my face. How many of you guys know the name Michal? Michael? Mich- Mich- Michal? I don't know how you pronounce David's first wife, the daughter of Saul, who loved David. And David actually loved her. Okay, Scripture says, even she reviled him. When he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, even she reproached him for the way he carried his heart before the Lord. She, the very love of his life, rebuked him because of his pursuit and diligence in running after the Lord. A couple other psalms you can look up on your own. Psalm 109, 24 to 7. He says, my knees are weak. Um, Let me skip ahead there. But he says, I've borne reproach for your sake. Psalm 89, he, David, is a reproach to his neighbors for the sake of his lifestyle. Verse 8, he says, I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. How many of your guys' families get you? <laughs> my family doesn't get me. I don't understand it. Particularly my extended family. They have no clue what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. I mean, they're the first ones we went to when we started raising support as missionaries. And they're like, what are you do- Are you joining a cult? Like, what are you doing? Right? They don't get it. They don't get me. But they did not reproach me and ignore me in the way that David was. How many, you know the story of when Samuel came to anoint a new king to Jesse, David's father, and he said, bring me all your sons. How many sons did, did he bring? Seven. Jesse brought all seven sons, and Samuel says, is this all your sons? And Jesse goes, yeah, it's all of them. And he goes through all of them, and none of them are the the king. None of them are anointed. And Samuel's like, are you sure this is all your sons? And he goes, well, we have this one. He's really weird. And he plays a harp, and he sings songs. So we keep him him in the backfield to tend the sheep with the servants. His family reviled him, did not get him because David pursued God diligently and with fervor and zeal and wanted all with his heart to love God because he carried this vow. His own brothers rebuked him and said, you've got a prideful spirit when he, when he went to the field to slay Saul. Sorry, Goliath. said, you're filled with pride. And all of this because zeal, For God's house had eaten him up on the inside, had consumed him, another passage, another uh, translation says. Zeal for God's house had devoured his insides and he could do nothing else. So he bore that reproach. Continue in verse 9. He says, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Really, what he means is they hate you yet they take it out on me. People despise you because of how I represent you and they don't like it. People revile your commandments. People despise the things that you've laid out and how to walk in and they take it out on me. They hate the nature of your leading and so they revile me. Verse 10, he said, when I wept, and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. Man, I just can't get away from it. You know what happens? This is what this is. This is what this looks like. It's those around him that say, man, this guy doesn't understand grace. He doesn't understand the cross. Like, he doesn't get it. He's got a religious spirit because he's fasting. He needs freedom and liberty, brother. And they reproach him for it. That's legalism. Beloved, we do not understand legalism. It's become a cop-out and a code word for stop doing what you're doing because I don't like the way it makes me feel about my diligence towards the Lord. Chill out, slow down because your lifestyle is convicting me of my own sinful lifestyle or lack of pursuit of God. Don't heed the voice of the world Even of the body of Christ that tells you to slow down, chill out, man. Don't heed that word. Pursue with diligence. Verse 11, he says, I became a byword to them. He became a joke. They made jokes. They wrote jokes about David and his lifestyle, and they poked fun at him. He said, those who sit in the gate... Speak against me. This is the religious leaders of his day and the political leaders of his day. That's where they gathered, in the gates of the city. And this is what they did. They spread slanderous words about David and his lifestyle, mocking him throughout the whole city. The religious leaders of his day and the political leaders of his day. And David was king. But he said, they gather in the gates and they speak against me for the sake of the Lord. And the last part of that verse, he says, I'm even the song of the drunkards. They go to the bars, they drink, and they sing songs about how silly I look. Really. This is what David dealt with in his life. In the notes, if you have them, you can read it on your own, but I have various reasons why sincere believers actually draw back from pursuing the Lord with diligence, pursuing God with zeal, and it's related to these these matters. We, get, we fear criticism from the body. We draw back because we love comfort. We draw back because we're fixated on growing our own ministry and God doesn't do it. This is the one I do want to hit. This is what we do. We give God a time limit. And we say, if in 10 years, I'm going to pursue you diligently, but if in 10 years my platform isn't what I expect, my ministry isn't grown, all of these things, I'm just going to draw back and do business as usual like everybody else because it's too hard. We can't put a time limit on it. And some draw back because they want more money. Because pursuing, not greed, I'm not talking about greed. Some draw back because pursuing God diligently costs something financially, often, right? David, billions of dollars. I'm not asking any of you to, well, if you want to give billions of dollars, go ahead. But uh, there's a new giving information out there. No, I'm just <laughs> but we have to continue the lifestyle pursuit, we have to run the race. With diligence, even when it affects our finances, we mustn't draw back because the breakthrough of God is on the other side of that. You might never see it in your life. Hebrews 11 all the heroes of the faith died never seeing the promise, but they did not stop doing the stuff. So I just want to, real quick, as we wrap up, I'm going to go over time, but I, that's all right. Aaron will, Aaron will understand, I hope. Just a couple minutes. I want to, we need to gain understanding of what breakthrough means. We believe in this year of breakthrough right now. Totally. I fully believe this is a year of breakthrough. The Lord's going to do stuff. But Aaron said it last week. Sometimes there's hell in the hallways. There's something that has to happen first. There's a cost of covenant. There's a cost that pours out the breakthrough or releases the breakthrough in the kingdom. It's important that we understand what Scripture teaches about breakthrough. It describes a two-fold breakthrough, two sides of one coin, twofold. Okay? Now I fully believe this. Jesus accomplished full breakthrough for us in the spirit. We in the spirit we have fullness of God's breakthrough. Paul, Paul's declaration that we're a new creation in Christ has vast implications, and I believe them wholeheartedly. Right? We receive the very righteousness of God. All things pertaining to our born again spirit have been made new. We're freely accepted by God. We've been given authority in Jesus name. We have the indwelling spirit that we may effectively effectively resist sin, sickness and Satan. However, the other aspect of breakthrough is that we are required to partner with him for the breakthrough of the fullness of his purposes in the natural. You have the Spirit of God in you, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you have full breakthrough in the Spirit, but it is not in the natural yet. And you have to contend for it. See, we have confidence that what, uh, in the breakthrough that fully occurred in the Spirit on the cross, at the death, Resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Because of that, we have fullness of confidence to believe in breakthrough in the spirit, but we contend for breakthrough in the natural so that God's purposes will be fully released on the earth. Let me say it this way. We have confidence that what in, in what Jesus did, we have confidence in what Jesus did, so we contend that it be openly manifested on the earth. Rest in your sonship, but contend for revival. We, get, we, we unfortunately get a little confused in this. See, the breakthrough in the spirit is seen by believers with spiritual eyes, with eyes of faith. But the breakthrough in the natural can be seen by unbelievers with natural eyes. We've not seen that yet. Not in fullness. We've seen it in measure and part and parcel throughout time and history and, and geographic regions but we have not seen the fullness of it. God offers, remember the God of Jacob, God offers greater measures of grace to those who wrestle with him and humbly seek for it with all their heart. Now, I want to say this. We don't earn it. You're not earning the greater grace. You're not earning the greater measure. You're not earning a greater favor. A good friend of mine gave me this analogy, Lawrence Long. Lawrence helped lead the Martin Luther King Jr. outreach here, so some of you guys might know him love him. I get to see him like every other day. He comes to the prayer room. We just talk and like love Jesus together. But Lauren gave me this analogy as we were praying the other day. He said, man, the grace of God and the favor of God and the spirit of God is like a waterfall. It's like we're all standing around under it. But if you want, but here's the thing about waterfalls. If you stand at the outskirts of it, what do you get? Some of the splatter. But if you step into the meat of that waterfall, what do you get? Pounded into the ground. (laughs) You understand? There are different accessible areas of flow in the same outpouring and water of the Spirit. You're not earning it. You're just saying, I want that. And you get it. Right? So you're not earning it. Some confuse the two dimension of breakthrough. We think because I have the fullness of Jesus in me and I have that full breakthrough in the spirit, I'm it. That's it. I'm done. And we're content with far less than what Jesus has made available to us. We grow content with far less. They're content with Jesus' breakthrough in the spirit, regardless of the measure that we experience in the natural. I want the fullness in the natural. But we have to set our hearts to contend for the fullness of God that that he has ordained for our generation. We have to fight for it. We have to wage good warfare. You should always be seeking the double portion. We cannot reduce our, our definition of revival so that it makes no demands on our life. It demand, God demands something of us. He's asked something of us. We can't dumb down our vision of breakthrough, of the full breakthrough of revival. We can't call revival a tent meeting. Beloved, scriptural revival changes the nation, the government, even the land where we plant our crops. We've not seen that yet. We've not seen that. I encourage you guys to watch this video if you've ever heard of uh, uh, George Otis Jr he did a series of videos called the transformations or transformation videos i can't remember what it is but he traveled around the globe for like 15 years and he he, he vid- with video they categorized biblically based what the bible would call revival in like hundreds of nations my favorite is Fiji the Fijian islands i won't talk much about it but for just one example it's my favorite example so fascinating is that the water that would flow through this, this town was toxic. Like you couldn't drink it through the, there was a river that flowed through town. It was toxic and you couldn't drink it because upstream there's some nasty stuff going on. So they pray as a city, the government gets involved, the governmental leaders get involved, ministries get involved. They pray, they fast, they contend for God to break through. They repent. Don't forget repentance. And the power of God breaks in so that this is what happened. Upstream, that river was toxic. It would cross the border of their town, and it would become pure and clean. Here's the most fascinating part. When it would leave the border of their town, it was toxic again. (laughs) Whoo! Jesus. Right? That's revival. We can't dumb it down. We can't be comforted by religious rhetoric of our day that claims that right now we're walking in the fullness of what God has made available because we're not we are in the spirit but we're not in the natural when we see this town of 700,000 in Dayton and we see 300,000 people get saved in a week okay amen right let's move to the next city right But we're not seeing that. When we see the open heaven manifest like cherubim come with the corridor of glory, like access to God and eyes of the natural see it over our city, okay. But we haven't seen that yet. But it costs something to do that. David's heart was gripped by something bigger than his own family, than his own personal comfort, his own promotion, than the things of his house. He was gripped by something bigger, and he gave himself to pursue it we have to grip get our hearts gripped by something bigger than our music ministry our preaching ministry than our marketplace assignment than our wealth we have to set our hearts to contend for that fullness like david we have to wage war for the prophecy spoken concerning us i have this quote here by thomas merton from the book wisdom of the desert he's speaking of the early church fathers and if you don't know who they are i encourage you to do a little study amazing But he said, society was regarded by the desert fathers, these are early church fathers, as a shipwreck from which each single individual man had to swim for his life. These were men who believed that to let oneself drift along, passively accepting the tenets of what they knew as society, was purely and simply a disaster. In the same way, we're called to respond to the Lord with radical abandonment leaving behind the world. If we're seeking breakthrough, we must live differently. A young friend of mine who I had speak a uh, couple weeks ago at, our, at Dayton Student House of Prayer, he was 14 or 15, and he had this conversation with the Lord. And, and because of this conversation, he gave his life to prayer and fasting and pursuing the Lord. And he's like 28 now. He's been doing it for over a decade. He said, I had this conversation with the Lord, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, Lord, I want to see what other men don't see. I want to see what other men haven't seen. And God's response, internal, audible, audible, I don't know, however, whatever, God's response was then you have to live in a way that other men don't live. You want to see something different? Live different. We have to cast down the American dream. We have to rest, balance in our lives, and lean into more. Worship team can come on up. It's not a sin to be a little bit tired, a little bit hungry. It's not a sin to be a little bit poor, <laughs> a little bit fatigued. We have to make war against our bed. We have to violently say that the, uh, and, and combat against the God of our belly, the God of sleep, the God of comfort. We have to kill those gods. We have to put to death the old man because sometimes that old man keeps – We have there's power at life and death in the power of the tongue, and sometimes you keep resurrecting that old man. Put him to death. Vilify convenience. Here's the reality. When you stand before the Lord, when you stand before the Lord on that day, on the great day, white throne judgment, when you stand before the Lord, the opinions of those who were less radical than you don't matter. The opinions of the people who said, chill out, calm down, you're doing too much. God won't hear them. He doesn't care. His opinion matters. And you know what his opinion is? Live like David because I said it in the word. Pursue me with radical diligence. Cast aside convenience, sell everything you have and follow me. Jesus wasn't, he was being literal, guys. We we just we oh he just means have a heart. No, do it. Run after me with everything. This is the testimony that God gave to Solomon concerning his father David. Can you guys move closer? Yeah, sure. yes. can do closer? Yes. Amen. God told Solomon, he said, Solomon, your father, David, did well in seeking to build my house. 2 Chronicles 6, 8, the Lord said to Solomon, to my, sorry, to my father, David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. David wanted more than a place of visitation once a week. David wanted a place for the habitation of the fullness of the glory of God, all the time, from now until forever, until dot dot dot. That's what David wants. The father's response to David's desire and his vow of radical pursuit was to make this is here's what I want to get in our hearts as we close, and I'm, I just invite you guys to stand, and I want to invite you up if the Lord's pressing in your heart these things and, and, and you, you're like I don't know how to do this I need grace I need, grace is strength by the way it's just strength to do it you need grace I just invite you you can come up or you can put your hand up you don't have to come up to the front and we're just going to pray for you as, as we close but the fathers I, I want us to understand this this diligent pursuit lifestyle isn't unto nothing God's response to David's pursuit was to make an everlasting covenant with him. Because David chose to do it, God said, I'm gonna covenant with you forever. First, he says, I'm gonna do exactly what you wanted, David. I'm gonna build myself an everlasting house and throne, an unmoving house. Then, just because I love you, I'm gonna build your house. He says, I'm gonna give your people peace I'm going to set up, and then I'm going to set up an eternal throne, David, and your sons will sit on it forever. (sighs) Not only that, God said, David, through your seed, because of your lifestyle, I'm going to restore the arena of encounter that I had with man in the garden through your seed because of the way you chose to live your life, I'm responding and saying, I'm going to reconcile the earth through your sons. <sighs> Jesus, radical pursuit pays really well. David didn't see most of these things, but it paid him really well forever David will sit on a throne in Jerusalem on the earth literally when heaven and earth come together David will sit there forever and rule the nations with Jesus because of the lifestyle that he chose we don't think about that and we don't think about the nature that when God said hey I'm going to give you a talent to he who has more will be given I'm going to give you five cities. That's not ethereal, metaphoric language. We're going to rule on the earth and reign forever. But it's in response to how we diligently pursue and use the things that God has given us. So I'm just going to pray. If you're feeling this a little bit, if it's stirring your heart, just put your hands up all over the room. We'll just just pray. Just offer yourself to the Lord. This is what we're going to do. God, we... We ask you to pierce our hearts with conviction, with understanding of your word. Lord, God, we want to love like David loved. We want to carry the testimony that we did well. We want to carry the testimony, oh, he's a man or a woman. He's after my own heart. Help us. Lord, I ask you right now to mark hearts mark, and and, and marking is immovable. God, that you would brand upon, burn upon our hearts this calling, this conviction, this zealous desire to pursue you, that it would consume us on the inside. Zeal for your house. Zeal for your place of rest on the earth, for the coming together of the kingdom of glory in the kingdoms of this earth. Pierce us, God, with revelation, understanding, mark our hearts. God, we want to know your heart. We want to know your heart like David knew your heart. We want to know your heart. And Lord, I just ask this last thing. I ask you, Father, for grace to do it. Many have said yes, but few have actually done it. God, give us grace to do it for decades upon decades upon decades to not draw back, to not heed the words of the culture, of society, to not heed the words of the body, but to heed your heart and your word, to gain understanding. Give us grace to know your heart. Give us grace to know your heart. In Jesus' name.